Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz. I fully support the fact that he accepted his speech in a tie-dye hoodie. Um, <laughs> possibly after shaking an edible. Um, it's unclear. You know what? If, you're, if your fiancé left you for Harry Styles, you would be wearing yeah. a hoodie. You wouldn't even show up. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Once again, this is Lou Katz welcoming you to the podcast that does its darndest to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Please welcome, from Vulture and WTOP Radio, Jen Cheney. Hi, everyone. Also from WTOP, that entertainment reporter and the next Cecil B. DeMille, you love him, Jason Fraley, our guest critic. <laughs> I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> And now the guy in the middle of it all who is constantly denying being bitten by Major the White House dog. You love him, Arch. Campbell is here. Well, here we are. Thank you, Lou. And uh, thank you, Jason, for being with us. And hello, Jen. And uh, let's start with uh, what are we recommending this week? Jen, what's on your agenda? I want to recommend the new season of Last Chance You. Uh, this is a series that has been ongoing on Netflix uh, of sports documentaries that have focused on junior college teams. And up until now, they had done football and then they did cheer, which was sort of an offshoot. And this season, they have pivoted to basketball, which is my favorite. And uh, following a junior college team as they're trying to you know, get to states, getting to know all the members of the team and the coach who is um, a real character. <laughs> and I don't want to give anything away, but given what's been happening in the world, you can imagine maybe where things might go as the, as the season progresses and they try to get closer to, to States, which, you know, is typically in the February, March-ish timeframe. Um, but I, I think it's really fascinating. And, and that show is like consistently very well done. So was the previous episode on that, uh, that team from uh, East Texas, from uh, Tyler, trying to uh, win a cheer contest. Was that the... Uh... Are you talking about cheer? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's... Now, cheer, cheer is part of the Last Chance You kind of franchise. Hmm. So, yes. So that was part of it. Because that I was enjoyed... really terrific. Yeah. I enjoyed season one. Um, it, it brings back all the... I mean, as you say, it's it's junior college, you know, giving folks a second chance. But I... I it brought back all of those high school football memories for me. So I enjoyed season one, but I haven't caught up with three yet. And Jenny, basketball is probably a really fascinating one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's out as of today, actually. So, and Jason Fraley is with us. We always love it when Jason comes by to visit. And uh, Jason, when somebody asks you, what should I watch this week? What do, what do you tell them? Well, uh, right now, um, I would say uh, Raya, Raya and the Last Dragon on Disney+. Plus. It, it just debuted on Friday. It's one of those that that um, is hitting theaters and, but you can get premiere access, I think for like $29.99, which sounds steep, but you know, if you bring a family of four to the theater, it's actually cheaper than that if you, you watch it digitally. My whole life, I trained to become a guardian of the dragon gem, but this world has changed and its people are divided. Now, to restore peace, I must find the last dragon i really enjoyed it i thought it was a really uh strong central uh heroine it's the first southeast asian disney princess you know mm. she 
she doesn't need a love interest in this one. She's just on the, you know, she's a, a female warrior. Aquafina is this uh, magical blue water dragon that uh, sort of sort of reminds me of the genie in Aladdin, you know, released uh, from captivity yeah. to come back and make some wisecracks and can shape shift into humans if necessary. Um, but the thing I really loved it were were the themes. There's this the whole thing centers around a plague, which looks sort of like a smoke monster. There's your loss reference, Jen. But sort oh. of, <laughs> it's sort of like a plague that anything in its path turns in them into stone. And it, it, I think it's like a COVID-19 kind of a thing. It, it's how do we overcome this plague? And the answer really in the end is by um, a bunch of warring factions and uh, political partisanship, putting that aside coming together for some political reconciliation to overcome a deadly pandemic. And, and so, I mean, I think it's very topical, but also entertaining. Yeah, yeah, well, oh, that's, yeah. that's exactly how we've been handling everything. So it really lines up. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, we were joking online today that with the vaccines rolling out, I would, we should, you should have to report, present a report card of how seriously you've been taking this thing for the past year to get from mm -hmm. first in line. I feel like these people that are anti-maskers are now suddenly showing up and getting vaccinated for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> I, I like the uh, the two uh, ladies who uh, dressed up as grandmothers trying to get a uh, a vaccine. I thought that was pretty creative. Uh, you know, Disney Plus is, has uh, emerged as uh, one of the most successful new streaming platforms. And I would just like to remind people that uh, you can share your Disney Plus uh, subscription. So uh, a friend and I share one. And uh, when people ask me what to watch, I remind them that Soul is on there from Pixar and that it's quite, quite good. There is one topic that is uh, trumping everything. And that, of course, is Oprah's interview with uh, Harry and Meghan, the royals who left the royal family. And I think we should start our topical discussion with uh, what we thought of uh, that interview on uh, old school CBS Sunday night. And uh, Jen, I know this has really gotten your attention. I think it was one of the most extraordinary interviews I've ever seen. Not necessarily because what they were saying was so surprising. I mean, if, if you were gonna bet, you know, are a bunch of white people who live in a bubble, bubble racist or not racist, I would put my money on racist. But, you know, the Royals don't usually speak this far out of turn. I mean, the, the best example or corollary was Princess Diana's interview mm -hmm. um, back in 95, I think it was with Martin Bashir. But even that to me was different because first of all, there, was, there wasn't this racial element, especially at this particular moment. And she was, all, she was on her own. They were cutting off somebody who wasn't part of the bloodline. And at least as, as Harry and Meghan are describing it, like they've done Harry pretty dirty <laughs> uh, as much as they have Meghan. I mean, whose father doesn't return his phone calls? It's ridiculous. So Incidentally, I, just, I, I just was blown away by the whole thing. You know, everybody is speculating who made the comment about how dark is Archie going to be. Uh, it was Charles. <laughs> I, because of this season of the crown you know charles was the villain in the crown this season so of course everybody is looking to him for making that comment and it is interesting the way the interview dovetails with the series that so many of us uh, have enjoyed this year yeah i think um the crown 
I think suddenly the the writers are rushing into the room. They got material for future seasons, but I, I would echo Jen. I'm, I'm shocked, shocked to find that there is racial and class divides in um, something as antiquated as a as a monarchy. You know, we are all supposedly living in you know democracies at least we're trying to around the world and and there's this old vestige of an old world and somehow we're supposed to expect that they're on the same page with you know the rest of us um yeah i'm not i'm not surprised but it's still it's very disheartening well i don't i don't think the crown is ever going to address this because i i think they only have like one more season or something but to your point about the crown and just in general the, the degree to which this is just we went through this already with diana did you learn no mm -hmm. lessons i mean the way they they treated megan there are just clearly a lot of echoes, you know, in terms of it affecting her mental health and them not being welcoming to her. And, and then you add the race element on top of it. And it's just, I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. So if history repeats itself, uh, is Megan uh, Wallace Simpson or is she uh, Princess Diana? She's definitely not Wallace Simpson because she's already like the, the two of them together have already caused enough of a, a fuss that, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not saying the monarchy is gonna top, topple because of it, but it definitely hasn't been faring well. And their the response to it, that stupid statement they issued was just horrendous. Oh, we're, we're concerned about racism, but we'll talk about it privately. And then we'll solve it. We'll be fine. <laughs> we'll discuss that later. <laughs> uh, and what about uh, Oprah and her use of old school CBS Sunday night broadcasting. When was the last time we talked about that? Right. I mean, that was a rare occasion when everybody was sitting down to watch something at the same time in real time. I mean, 17 million people watched that as it was uh, airing live, which is an incredibly rare number mm -hmm. these days. So, you know, I think she's been very, very canny in the way that she's done this. She sold the, the interview to CBS for, I think, like $7 million or something like that. And just the way that she's been handling her, all the programming that she's been doing, she hasn't limited herself in a, in a relationship to one streaming service or one network. She's working with Apple and she's working with Netflix. And, and, and in fact, you know, she's doing, I believe she's doing something with Prince Harry for Apple, which may have sort of helped pave the way for this interview to happen. But just in terms of the way that she handled the interview, you know, I thought, I thought she, she didn't ask them softball questions and she followed up, a, you know, a lot, didn't let things just slide. She came back to asking Harry about his relationship with his dad and his brother when he didn't fully answer the question. So I, I felt like she did a very good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. I think they're re-airing it, aren't they? This yeah, on Friday night. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the difference between the interview with Princess Diana and uh, this interview, Oprah, as opposed to Martin Bashir, who was more polite and continental and uh, and nice. Uh, not that Oprah wasn't nice. In fact, uh, Oprah just very clearly, she'd ask a clear question and then she'd come back around and say, well, tell us a little more. Mm -hmm. And I guess that undercut our Critics' Choice Awards. Would we all vote in the Critics' Choice Awards? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what do we think of the Critics' Choice Awards, <laughs> which nobody watched opposite Oprah? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought, I thought generally speaking, the, the way things went, I mean, I, I felt like the choices were pretty solid. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Nomadland is best movie, Chadwick Boseman, for um, Ma Rainey, 
Carrie Mulligan, that's interesting for promising young woman. Mm -hmm. And then Daniel Kalua, that's interesting that he's he's kind of emerging as the guy for supporting actor. And Maria Baklavova of the Borat movie. That was kind of, I can't figure out uh, who Oscar is going to go with for best supporting actress. You got any ideas? Of all the names you just read, it, feel, it feels like the best actor and supporting actor are starting to become lots with Bozeman and Kaluuya, which, you know, thank mm -hmm. God for, for Bozeman. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think he would be only the third if he wins the Oscar posthumously. Peter Finch Network and Heath Ledger mm -hmm. with the Joker. Um, and then Kaluuya, you know, Get Out and Widows and Queen and Slim. I mean, yeah. he's been on a, on a roll. So I'm, I'm actually love to see him producing Black Messiah. But to your point, while those are locks, the actress ones are really up in the air. I mean, Carrie Mulligan wins here, but Andrew Day won at the Globes. And then, God, wouldn't it be crazy if Viola or Francis wins at SAG and we have like a three way <laughs> horse race? And then supporting actress, man, Bakalova for. For Borat, but I still feel like that's open. I mean, Seifried was an early leader. Yeah, but no one yeah. seems to be liking Mank, but I still think it could be the grandma from from Minari, Yu Jung Yoon. I think she could pull it out. I don't know who's going to win that. Jen, you got any thoughts? No, I just I agree. I have I. It's mm -hmm. very hard to predict. But my other thought is, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm always so invested in this. I am tired of, of talking about this just because the award season has been going on for so long. We start talking about this in September and usually it's wrapped up by like February or March, but we've got like a, another month plus till the Oscars. It's yeah, just April long. 25th, <laughs> six weeks. Yeah. Well, it, would be, it would be over by now, usually, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I, it really could go anywhere, but I think the, the big, big takeaway is that Nomadland seems to be, just uh, you know, the surefire front runner now. It's it won at the Globes and here, and then Chloe Zhao is, keeps winning director. So I really think we could have a very historic moment. I think we're going to see at the Oscars the second woman ever to win Best Director, which is crazy that we've only had it one other time. But progress. Are you getting the kind of feedback I'm hearing on Nomadland, which is? Oh, it's so depressing. Oh, 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 I thought it would be different than that. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Nomadland. I, I voted for it. I, I'm pulling for it. But I'm, I'm noticing a lot of people not thrilled with it. Are you getting that same feedback? Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like there's, there's like two types of movies, right? Especially we're going through a pandemic. There are movies that are our escape from that. There's the WandaVisions mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then there's movies that, that are the timely movie that captures that feeling. And Nomadland is a, is a cathartic capturing of what we're going through of living a, you know, hermit nomadic lifestyle where we're removed from societies and who, who wouldn't want to go out on the road, you know, in a van during the national parks during this time, dealing with grief and loss and isolation and, you know, economic strife. So like, yeah, Nomadland is the movie for our time. It's the Zeitgeist movie. Will that will a bunch of people want to <laughs> will, will they want to watch it on their couches? Probably not. I don't think there's going to be many people rewatching it, which is a shame because I think it is it's a masterpiece. But yeah, I, I don't think casual viewers are going to flock to it. Definitely not. I mean, it's hard to gauge something like this, at least for me, because most of my conversations these days are with my coworkers who saw this like five months ago. <laughs> but I just I haven't had any conversations with friends about it or, or any other like kind of general feedback that 
conversations I have with my friends are about WandaVision or what else should I be watching on TV? It's nobody's asking me, how is Nomadland? Yeah, and you bring up something, Jen, that's been on my mind. I mean, uh, are the Oscars undercut this year? Is this the year that uh, we just really kind of turn our back on them? I mean, again, because of what I was saying before, because it's been delayed so much. It just, you know, to, to give something, to give out awards for what happened in the previous year, like four months, almost five months into the next year. Mm -hmm. It just feels like mm -hmm. let's move, let's move forward now. So I, I, I suspect the ratings for it are not going to be great, but I, I also am hesitant to like make a statement about just turning everybody, everybody turning their back on the Oscars in a year that is such an anomaly. So I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> There's not an answer. It's just, I just, I wonder if, because it seems like movies are in a different position now than they were uh, years ago. Yeah, I mean, there were really good movies that I think the public, you know, the average moviegoers were talking about at home. I think there are movies that people did watch, like, you know, like Palm Springs and The Invisible Man, stuff like that people did see, but they're not the type of movies, movies that are going to break through and win Oscars. So I think it's only going to further highlight a divide that's been with us for a while, but I think extra so this year. Hey, you mentioned uh, WandaVision, and uh, I did not see the finale, but I got a, uh, a feeling both of you watched it. And uh, was it everything you expected? You know, they kind of had to bring it back around to the Marvel stuff and set up things for the next Doctor Strange movie. Um, so there was a, you know... There was a lot of like action sequence stuff, which I don't know. I find myself kind of zoning out sometimes because I just feel like I've seen those kinds of scenes so much that I don't know. They're not as exciting to me, but um, mm. but I still I mean, on the whole, I thought that that series did a really great job. And in fact, I talked to the showrunner, um, Jack Schaefer, uh, earlier this week, and I'm going to be writing a piece just about you know, how she staffed that writer's room, all the different influences that she was bringing into it. You know, one of her big ones was Lost. So there you go. <laughs> I just thought they did a really, I just thought it was a fascinating series. And the people who were complaining in the beginning, like, what are they doing? What, how is this Marvel? It's taking too long. I don't understand that. Yeah, see, I actually... of, of, of all this kind of stuff is like, waiting to figure out what's going on. Once you find out what's going on, that's never as fun as just like, I wonder what's going on. Right, yeah. I'm with you, Jen. I feel like the my the the most I was invested in the show was those early, like the, those first three episodes when you're trying to figure out, you're like, wow, this is a whole new world and you can sense that there might be some, you know, too good to be true Truman Show type vibes, but you're still, the mystery of it's there. Now, I, I will say I... I have the finale teed up. I've only watched through episode eight. I have I can't bring myself to watch the finale yet because it's getting such you know mixed reviews. But I so far I I can see. I guess I could see why people like the second to last you know the penultimate episode the best because it's really like that episode where it's like how you would pitch the premise if you were in a in a writer's room. It's like you get all the best backstory stuff. You get all the tie-ins with the how the MCU. You know you even get her deep connections to to sitcoms and even a little bit of, you know, Stark industry stuff in there. It, I, I sort of really, to me, the second to last episode is the one that where it all comes together. And I'm, I'm hesitant to see the, episode, the final episode because I worry that it's just going to be our setting up, you know, season two kind of a thing. So, and by the way, uh, the critics choice and uh, the golden globes, everybody seems to think that uh, the crown 
is the and uh, the Queen's Gambit are the best series on television, and Ted Lasso gets all the other uh, accolades, and that seems to be uh, the choice when you get into uh, television awards. Jen, uh, TV is especially your area. You got any other thoughts on what's getting our attention on TV? I mean, honestly, it's been WandaVision and then now this, the interview that we just discussed with Oprah and um, that show Behind Her Eyes, <laughs> which uh, is another only, still bad. Part of, only still part of the conversation because the ending is so bonkers. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, those have been, I would say, the big shows of the year so far. And, and, and to your point about Ted Lasso, that has had an enormous staying power. Like I've seen people saying I'm, I'm watching it again for the third time or the fourth time, mm. uh, which is pretty remarkable. I think people have derived just really uh, enormous comfort from watching a show that it's not like corny, but it is about somebody who has an incredibly positive attitude and is really resilient. And I think that that's really helpful and uplifting for people to watch right now. And unlike well, no, I guess I'm trying to think what, what is actually going to qualify for the Emmys when it, when they get around to that. But certainly Ted Lasso and Queen's Gambit would be very much in the running. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if it wins some Emmys or if Jason Sudeikis wins an Emmy for his performance, because um, the, the appeal of that series has not waned. I would love I would like to wholeheartedly throw my support behind Ted Lasso. My wife and I loved it. I, it's my, it's like my new favorite show. I'd, you know, I think it can surpass Shit's Creek. I think it's, um, and I know it's not a new show, uh, but we, we didn't watch it until probably the beginning of this year. And I just, I thought it was hilarious, heartfelt. Um, Jason Sudeikis is just so like lovably earnest uh, in that character of the, you know, the American football coach trying to fish out of water in British soccer. And to me, uh the 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 whole supporting actress the the um who just won um what's her name hannah waddingham the the role of as the team owner trying to tank the team at first it reminded me of you remember the the owner in major league trying to get them to lose but but she gets a whole character arc so they they go against type in in a lot of ways and really flesh out all the characters and i thought it was just really loud, funny, but with a lot of heart. So we're talking about award shows and uh, the Grammys are coming up this week. What are your expectations? Man, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how they're going to do this because, you know, the Grammys more than anything else are are fueled by performances. Um, There's so many awards to give out that the bulk of the actual awards are given out in this kind of pre-prime time ceremony that goes on during the afternoon. So the performances are going to be done like remotely is my impression. I don't understand how the awards are going to be given out, if it's going to be all remote or partly. I think it's going to be a hybrid in some way. Trevor Noah is hosting it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm now I'm just nervous ever since the Golden Globes. Like, is this going to be a slog to sit through or not? The fact that it's more performance driven yeah. may help. But, you know, I, the fact that they, they didn't nominate The Weeknd or Fiona Apple in the major categories, I, I still can't get over it. And, and I'm, I'm mad about it forever. <laughs> Are award shows just washed up on TV? I mean, I think everybody's tired of watching the, these hybrid or remote versions of them. Yeah. It was sort of a novelty at first. We're like, oh, we get to see people's houses. That'll be kind of fun. And now it's like, all right, can we go back to the way we used to do this? Because... You know, you just you lose the sort of um, the sense that this is a real event. You lose the kind of spontaneity that happens when people are all in a room together and actually reacting in real time to what's going on. So 
I'll be glad when they can actually do these the traditional way again, I think. We only have to suffer two more of the virtual ones. We've got the Grammys, oh no, there's SAG, and then the Oscars, so I guess. And the, I don't know how they're we, doing the BAFTAs. Maybe they have their act yeah. together better. Oh, that's true. But mm. I guess maybe after the Oscars, maybe the, what's the, yeah, maybe by the Emmys in the fall. I still maybe. haven't given out the Tonys from last year. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yikes. So, uh, Lou, what are you watching in the uh, Cats household? Well, we we got wrapped up in WandaVision, and uh, I'm not a huge, and I've never been a huge, um, you know, comic guy, but I had a hard time following it, and uh, and I was a little disappointed in uh, in the end and the finale, but we've been watching WandaVision. Uh, we did have a chance to catch the uh, Billie Eilish uh, documentary on Apple TV Plus, and I, I, I know, I know, Jen, you're a huge fan of hers. Learned a whole lot about her, and I got to give that family credit for all the millions of dollars that that young lady has made. That they're not living, you know, the high life, you know, in you know, in Beverly Hills, and you know, all of that kind. They're still, you know, keeping their roots in their suburban California house, and always. I thought that was very interesting. So, I think it would um, be a, a loathe to move out of that house. I mean, they've made so much music in that they're her brother's bedroom. It's like, you don't want to mess with that. (laughs) But I'd like to, I'd like to comment on something Lou said about, you know, WandaVision being a little hard to follow. And I think, I think it highlights it. You raise a great point that unless you have followed every single, you know, storyline, plot line, I mean, these were supporting characters in the Avengers franchise, unless you've been following all of it, I bet it would it probably would be confusing. You know what I mean? Like it, it just shows that this it's sort of these niche audiences that, well, I guess Marvel superheroes aren't really niche, but a lot of people watch them. It's mainstream, but you know, you there's comes, there's a lot of baggage you need to already know coming into it that I think could be confusing. I, I mean, will say that. I mean, I caught the, the word Stark on one particular thing. I don't know if it was a prop or I can't remember what it was on one of the shows. And I'm going, well, I, I recognize that name, but that's about as far- know it's about as far as i went with it right well it's not a self-contained thing it's you have to watch you just have to have so much other prior knowledge well the interesting thing we were uh some of my coworkers were talking about this that said their parents were watching wandavision never watched anything marvel before the whole like old sitcom thing lured them in and they loved it and they're like oh are you gonna watch any the next marvel stuff like nope we're just watching wandavision that's it in (laughs) out no more It's very cleverly done. So, Lude, uh, what's up with Hound Radio? Well, time is on our minds, Arch. Uh, Check this out. Time. Time. And the time has come to change your clocks. Remember to turn them ahead one hour as daylight saving time begins at 2 a.m. Sunday. You'll lose an hour of sleep, but you'll be ready to swing into spring. This timely reminder is from your sleep-deprived friends at Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. So, uh, Jen, uh, you generally throw some uh, something at the wall and see if it sticks called uh, Flashbacks and Favorites. And uh, what's on your mind this week? I think I know. You do? Because I don't. <laughs> I think you're going to ask us, what's your favorite finale? Oh, well, that's we actually a good question. We uh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> what is because your favorite so, finale? So many finales are disappointing. 
and especially this year, what was that other thing? The undoing? Mm-hmm. Man, that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> That's my one. guess. What's your favorite finale? Now I have to answer the question? Yeah. Okay. You can answer it last uh, if you need time to speak. Uh, think about no, it. No. The best finale I can remember is the finale of Six Feet Under, where all the characters, uh, it, it showed how they uh, ultimately died. And it was uh, touching and interesting and uh, a wonderful way to wrap that series up about a family running a funeral home. And, and the, sh- the show would start with some uh, odd death and then go into the episode. And so then the last uh, episode, uh, it showed how everybody ended, uh, everybody's lives ended. So six feet under. Yeah, that's, to me, that that is like kind of the high watermark for how you do a finale. My favorites are probably, I know are very polarizing, but for drama, it's probably The Sopranos. I know a lot of people hated it, but when I, if you go back and, you know, shot by shot, and there's so much to study in that last shot where, you know, you know he's gonna get whacked I think they actually telegraph it if you're really paying attention that uh, that it goes black on on his POV. There's a little pattern that they set up with the the ringing doorbell. He looks up, the next shot's his POV. That's the one that goes black. Case closed. Uh, The sitcom, I I actually like Seinfeld. A lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was kind of cool how they, they found a way to bring them all back around. I called Jill from prison. You think that would make up for the other ones? Sure. Because you only get one call. Prison call is like the king of calls. One that I thought could have been so much better if they went with the original idea was, uh, do you remember in Home Improvement, the neighbor Wilson at the fence? Mm-hmm. Tim Allen had an idea to make it that he was just a figment of his imagination where he would go out and, you know, just like sort of the conscience of the show, talk about it, and then he goes back in and makes up with his wife. But the, the producer said that the, that that was a little too far-fetched because Wilson had been, you know, involved with the family and stuff. But I thought that would have been kind of cool if they went with that. Um, I'm going to chime in and say uh, a recent one that I thought was exceptional was The Americans. Um, oh, yes. Yes. That was a great, great finale with just a lot of emotional impact. And it finally, you know, brought around what you'd been waiting to see. Are they going to get caught? Are they not going to get caught? What's going to happen to them? And it still ended on this kind of, I don't know, melancholy kind of thing that was very much in keeping with that show. I, I miss that mm-hmm. show so mm-hmm. much. I, I miss, mm-hmm. put Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese in something together. Just, I don't care what it is. Just figure right. it out. <laughs> yeah. we, all, we also got to, I mean, the high watermark for a lot of people is is MASH. I mean, that was the, they say there was no one, that was like a ghost town on the streets because everyone was watching it. And, but I think my favorite final line was in the Friends finale when they're like, well. Okay, should we get some coffee? Sure. Where? <laughs> Lou, you got a thought on this? No, I, I'm with uh, I'm with Jason on Mash. It's that was just a classic. What did that have? Over well over a hundred million people watched it. You know, at the time, that would be probably close to almost at that time, maybe half the country was watching mm-hmm. that was watching that show. Uh, Classic, classic finale. Well, any final thoughts? I mean, uh, we've kind of uh, beaten award shows to death. <laughs> We're waiting for the how's the pipeline? It's it's in a weird place right now. I I, uh, I mean, there's still stuff. There's still plenty of stuff. I don't feel like I have nothing to do by any means. But this is this is the first time it's felt like there's been a little more of a dip, a little more of a pronounced noticeable dip than than usual. Don't worry, it'll last like a week. 
but <laughs> it feels that way. And do we see any light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, um, uh, Lou and I are double vaxxed. We're vaccinated and people are you starting. to brag about it. <laughs> I'm not. Congrats. Just, yeah, I know. I'm saying that people are starting to think about life on the other side. Uh, do we see any, any, uh, what do we see ahead? It still feels far away to me. I, uh, and maybe that's just the pessimist in me, but it still feels that way because they still haven't figured out how to vaccinate kids under 16. And then now, of course, you know, here in Maryland, they're starting to loosen some restrictions. And I'm like, can you guys just not loosen anything too much? When we're this yeah. close, I just worry about another surge potentially, which hopefully won't happen. But yeah, I think I think that we can see the, that's almost the it's the blessing and the curse is that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I worry that, you know, this close and, you know, the 11th hour in the top of the ninth inning, people are, <laughs> are going to, um, you know, let their guard down and then we're going to see it spike again. Uh, you know, um, yeah. that, that's what I worry. I, I'd say we got to stay vigilant. But yes, there is hope around the corner. So, Lou, how should we wrap this week up? Well, we got the Grammys, of course, coming up Sunday night. And I know, uh, Jen, as I mentioned a little while ago, a huge Billie Eilish fan. And I thought I would play uh, the song that won not only Song of the Year, but Record of the Year from Billie, Bad Guy. And Jen, you can crank up your earbuds for this one because I know you love her. Okay. <laughs> Duh. We'll, we'll catch you guys next week. This is the CATS podcasting system.